Hey everybody, it's Moscow here. Before we get started with today's show, wanted to thank you all so much for supporting our sponsors here at the Brewing Network. We appreciate it a lot. It goes a long way to helping keep the lights on around here. And along those lines, wanted to let you guys know that longtime BN homie Michael Fairbrother at Moonlight Meadery is having a special sale just for you guys in the BN Army. Right now, you can save 10% on two or more bottles by using code BNARMY over at MoonlightMeadery.com slash shop. If you guys don't know Moonlight Meadery, they make meads for any occasion, and they are the reference standards for mead categories in the BJCP style guidelines. That's right. These guys define the categories pretty much across the boards for meads. They are the best meads on the planet, Moonlight Meadery. So again, you can save 10% on two or more bottles of delicious, terrific, wonderful Moonlight Mead at MoonlightMeadery.com slash shop. Please use code BN Army, let them know we sent you. Show Michael you appreciate them and get some awesome mead to boot. Moonlightmeadery.com slash shop. Use code BN Army. And now here's the Sour Hour. The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. We're back. Not everything's a James Bond film. Words of wisdom from who? <laughs> Mr. Moscow, it's that time. Sour Hour, Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay, with Scott here at the Brewing Network Studios in downtown Concord, no Bevo. But we've got our friend, Dr. Lane McMatt Miller from Mellow Mink Brewing in Mechanicsburg, PA. Having a great time? Email us, scott at thebrewingnetwork.com, jay at thebrewingnetwork.com. Listen live. We got some people listening live. Big Dr. Lambic fans. So. Oh, yeah. His, his international audience has been chomping at the bit to hear this. Oh, yeah. So subscribe and leave feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you do that sort of thing. And let's, we got another beer open. So let's bring yeah, Matt back in. Matt, are you still with us? Hi, guys. How are you doing? Hey, good. This, so this is basically a James Bond film. We're opening the show with a car chase scene, you know, by having Matt on the line straight away. Exactly. What do you call that, Scott? Latin for in the middle of things, in media res. Oh, in media res. We yeah. What, what was the context that we talked about that in? Uh, I forget, but you brought it up where you liked that. Yes. Like when something just starts, like you're, you're par- you parachute in. <laughs> right. And something's going on. Big time. And it's not just like in the beginning. You know, yeah, it's just yeah. Like, Whoa, what's this? What's that? It's and a then really, you're going to figure it out later. Exactly. It's a popular device where like you come in in the courtroom, dra- dramatic scene, and then it's like three days earlier. And then it builds up to where you got to, yes, in mm-hmm. media res. Yeah. You know, I was uh, not feeling that well last week, so I, I had some some dead time when I was uh, a little bit under the weather and got caught up on many, way too many movies. Uh, <laughs> Matt, what's your favorite movie of all time? The Shawshank Redemption. Nice. Nice pull. See, that just usurped my old number one movie, <laughs> which used to be The Usual Suspects. <sighs> You know, now it's it's hard to fully enjoy Kevin Spacey in his. Oh, it's been ruined for you with the whole thing. With I don't the know thing. if it's been ruined, but I avoid watching it. Interesting. You know, that seems like sort of a cliche answer for your favorite movie. You're like, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, it's usual one of the best suspects, movies yeah. ever. It's very yeah. good. It oh, very oh, good. Usual Suspects. You yes. Mean. Oh, I thought Shawshank Redemption was more a more popular <laughs> choice. What about, what about you? Well. Favorite movie of all time is easily Groundhog Day by, oh, by a mile. Nice. Not, there's no close second for me. I watch yeah. it every year on February 2nd, and that movie is amazing. Pennsylvania-based movie. That's right. Punxsutawney. How close are you to Punxsutawney there in Mechanicsburg? Uh, it's about two hours away. All right. Well, you know what? Your next February 2nd, you got to make a pilgrimage over there and check out Gobbler's Knob, if you'll, par- <laughs> if you'll pardon the turn of the phrase. Yeah. You've you'll, you got to get your beer on tap there. There's a really cool right. diner right next to Gobbler's Knob. Speaking Sounds of good. groundhogs, what is, what is a mink anyway? What is a mellow mink? Well, minks uh, are like a, an aquatic, kind of semi-aquatic, like mammal native to Pennsylvania, and they're related to like ferrets or weasels, and they're never really mellow. They're very aggressive, <laughs> so it's sort of a play on words. I thought it was a cat. It looks it looks cat-like in the logo. 
They have, I mean, their silhouettes are like a long-necked cat. You know where I'm looking at this silhouette is on this beautiful challenge coin. Yeah. During the break, Scott <laughs> challenged me to, to drink a whole beer. So that's right. That's why we're coming in hot. Well, I don't have mine on me, so this round's on me. <laughs> oh, I see. It is. It is. So, right. So, that's it, right? Like, everyone's got to pull out their challenge coin. If somebody doesn't have theirs on them, then they have to pay for the round? Exactly. This is beautiful. It's this gorgeous. This is a little, nice little keepsake. This is this is yours, Scott. Yeah. yeah. Yours is here. Yours is here. Oh, we I have, have Oh, yeah. There we Oh, so this is mine. Boom. Great. Thanks for sending these, man. I'm down with that. Oh, yeah. My pleasure. So, along with the challenge coin, we do have the uh, Passion Fruit Goes in our glass now. I need some in my nice. glass. Oh, yeah. Uh, tell us about this one. It's fairly classic uh, as far as the Goes base recipe. It goes a... Uh, as far as that goes? <laughs> yeah. And, um, so, it's um, Pilsner malt and wheat-based coriander and sea salt in the boil. There is some light, noble hopping. Let me see. Light hopping with um, magnum and sots. Hmm. After primary fermentation, uh, we add um, some passion fruit puree from Oregon fruit and let that re-ferment out. And I think it gives the, I think it goes really nicely with the the uh, aromatics you get from the fermentation in general as well as the coriander it's just uh adds kind of a tropical layer to the whole thing yeah that does goes up very nicely with that uh yeah the organ fruit <laughs> this uh, show really goes off the rail from time to time <laughs> the organ fruit passion fruit is uh you know it's a little more on the on the sour side from the other ones and by the way aseptic purees used to use convenient to store organ fruit no additives or artificial flavors simply great expression of the passion fruit they love working with brewers to help us innovate. Check them out. Fruitforbrewing.com. Oregon Fruit. They bring fruit to life. Matt, how do you balance the inherent acidity in some of these fruits that you're interested in working with? You know, especially if you're doing uh, something where you can control the acidity, maybe a little more than the barrel aging Thank process. You. Although you've, you know, talked extensively about blending. H how do you balance that? In this example, this is a kettle soured beer, so we we do uh, kind of lock in the acidity after just a lactobacillus primary fermentation, and then reboil. We target the highest um, pH. We do that by we don't change the pitch rate, but we do change the length of time that the lactobacillus is allowed to act on the wort. Most of our beers we target around like three point three to three point six this one we cut the fermentation off at like three point seven and it because the passion fruit puree is extremely acidic i think it has a ph of right around three point zero so we we back off on the initial souring so that the uh keeping in mind that the passion fruit is going to increase the the final acidity of the beer gotcha yeah i think it's very well balanced what, what's been the reaction of the locals to having a brewery around Mechanicsburg that is, uh, you know, majority sour focused. Is it a good it's sour beer been community? Very, it's been very positive. We've got, we've uh, developed a nice fan base already and are getting, you know, a lot of good feedback. Yeah. I, people really like the, I, I mean, sour beers are, are becoming even more and more widely accepted. So I think we've gotten to the point in craft beer culture where, a really taproom focused brewery can can do you know primarily sour beers and and still have a lot of people come through the door. We found locally that the that people really the, the sours are the easier sell and the the farmhouse uh, or like more phenolic things like um, horse divorce have been harder. You know, you'll have people that love it, and a lot of people have never tasted anything like it before, and they don't know, they don't like it, or don't know what to think about it. I've heard that sentiment many times, and including from you, Jay. I wonder if this is because people have a hard time, they don't know how to classify it. Sour is a very easy, like, one-word descriptor. Sour beer, you know. It, may, it takes a little bit more nuance to describe what a farmhouse is. You think that's it, Matt, that people just kind of don't know how to think about it? I do. I think it's, I, I think it's a matter of just, They've not tasted beers that have this profile before, and it's it's just unexpected. Are there any other breweries in Mechanicsburg? What's your competition like? Uh, we have a couple local breweries. There's a pretty uh, pretty good um, local beer scene here, and within 
I would say 15 miles of us. There's almost there's probably a dozen breweries in the area. Yeah. Are there any others doing uh, sours, even if it's just kettle? Only occasionally. You know, it's and that's kind of our our thing is we you know a lot of breweries now do some sours as like a special project, and we kind of flip that around and we make sours our primary focus, and then the clean beers are kind of like the special projects and the one offs and that type of thing. Gotcha. What was your kind of response to you know i know we've been uh promoting the the founders club on on this show how much influence have you seen with people supporting mellow mink from the bn or from your work at sour beer blog i think uh especially when it comes to the founders club uh, it was uh you know we've, we have a lot of fans from the from the show from the sour and from the blog that joined the club you know just for that for those reasons they've read or read or listened over the years and uh it's always nice you know uh, on a on a day-to-day basis we don't get a lot of people necessarily through that are that are listeners uh, or readers because the, the readership and the listenership is so like you know spread all over the country but when people come in it's always really awesome to get to meet them and and you know talk shop and and it's been that's been we've had a lot of uh great experiences with with fans so far that's awesome like the whole the the bn family kind of extends now beyond you know the the bn army and people at the homebrews conference now it's you know it's been long enough where you know of course over amount of time homebrews turn into professional brewers myself included mm-hmm. it's kind of amazing to see this network you know moonlight meadery in, included kind of come together and have a lot of world-class beers going on it's pretty pretty exciting it's as many professional brewers that visit that have read the blog and listened to the show as home brewers. I feel like we've all with the BN, we've all been listening for the last decade and we kind of grew up learning from it. And it's, you know, it's really, really cool to see how many people have continued that into, into careers and professionally. Absolutely. Is it your similar experience, Jay, at the Rare Barrel, where it's not often, but, you know, pretty consistently once every couple of weeks or something, someone wants to shake your hand? I don't know about shake my hand, but... Pose for a <laughs> selfie, kiss you on the cheek, you know. Yeah, it's incredibly rewarding and humbling, and um, yeah, I mean, I'm pinching myself every day for this opportunity. I really just asked this question to make us all seem way cooler. <laughs> no, but no, it, it is extremely enjoyable. And, you know, seeing seeing Matt's brewery come to fruition is, is really awesome. I know a lot of the listeners who have been, you know, with us for a while, they themselves have collected all this knowledge, not only from the show, but the blog. And they're thinking about, hey, should I become a brewer? Or even the crazier thing is start my own brewery. And how would I, now with all of this knowledge, approach my sour beer program? So I'm curious, Matt, because you've laid out so many different, just incredibly detailed. That's why I'm always, you know, I mean, you've been a great supporter of our show. That's That's been amazing for us. Regardless of that, I, you know, I'm a big uh, fan of yours because your blog posts are so detailed in a way that it's kind of just like I sometimes that we get email questions in here where it's like, what should I do about this? And here's a question about that. And I'm like, you know, honestly, like go to Sour Beer blog and look up this <laughs> specific article because that's going to give you like I, I mean, it's more efficient for you to do that than for me to try and remember what I remember about the article. You go into such depth and Google look, it. Look at look at these <laughs> problems from so many different angles. But the fact that you do look at it from so many different angles, I'm curious, how did you whittle that down into here's what I'm actually going to do? You know, so like I, I'm a big fan of your, you know, part one and part two uh, fast souring posts. Let's just take that as an example or take this question anywhere you want it. How do you approach these things that you spent so many deep dives on? How do you approach it when now the the rubber hits the road and it's about mellow mink beer? <laughs> Thank you uh, for the compliments and for, for the question. Um, when I was designing the the beer program here in the brewery, you know, choosing equipment and all of that thing, I, I, all of those choices that needed to be made, it I really tried to 
give us as much flexibility and versatility as we can uh, because I've always been a fan of being able to experiment with all of these different methods of sour beer and mixed culture beer production. Um, so we have, you know, classic, uh, you know, uh, uh, steam-fired brewing system and some conical fermenters, uh, classic bright tanks, that type of thing. Our system was actually created, lo- uh, made by a local manufacturing company. So we were able to tell them, like, what features we wanted uh, so that we could do, you know, kettle sours and, you know, massive dry hoppings and things like that um, on the stainless side. And also in the, on the stainless side, we're using some like bulk uh, IBC style like square tanks that are like double the size of our brew, or, you know, double our batch size. Um, so we can do some stainless steel aging as well. My goal with barrel aging has always been to have like a, a nice mature selection of mixed culture beer in oak but then have some mature beer of the same type of bases that never touched oak. And it's just developed its, you know, developed on its own path in stainless so that when it comes time to bottling, it just gives another level of, you know, control over total oak flavor in a blend, like that type of thing, being able to back off of that if need be. You know, from that perspective, we're a fairly small brewery. I mean, we're a five barrel brew house. We have 24 oak barrels in house right now. We have room for a, you know a handful more, but not like hundreds more. And the the goal is has been to keep the equipment as versatile as possible, so that we can really experiment and have a lot of fun and keep trying new things. That's I don't a, know if that answered the question. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that's that's a, it's actually a, a perfect answer. While you're talking, I was just shaking my head yes nodding feverishly it's it's amazing because you 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 write the blog in a very neutral tone i mean you have your own recommendations of course but you do examine so many different avenues to go down and like i'm glad you also mentioned the the small ish space that you have i mean bigger than a home brewer but it's unbelievable that you're kind of carrying over this level of experimentation and experimentation also means flexibility and versatility and it's it's just incredible that you're you're able to achieve that in your in your professional endeavors as well um so kudos to you oh thank you do you think you can hang on for one more segment yeah we We have some more beer to try too what's next matt uh, I would go with the uh, palm mango. Uh, just before I, are, are we going to make it through all six? Yeah, there's, think? there's two more, right? Uh, yeah, ha- hang on for the whole thing if we can. But I just, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to keep you too late. You are our East Coast time, so. Oh, I, it, that's totally fine. I'm, I'm just hanging. I'm here at the brewery. I've got uh, everything we're tasting in front of me, so I'm getting to enjoy them too. Perfect. Yeah, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll do all of them for sure. I want to get through all of them. Okay. I would do the palm mango. Palm mango. Yes. You got it. I just don't want to make any coals or kales angry at me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Dr. Lambic. This is the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. For nearly 40 years, one organization has had your back. The American Homebrewers Association. Are you a member? (laughs) Why not? Join the more than 40,000 brewers who enjoy all the American Homebrewers Association has to offer. Like Zymergy Magazine, in print and online, plus the Zymergy app. Zymergy is the leading publication for amateur brewers around the world. Supporters also get member deals at their local breweries, bars, and homebrew shops. These alone quickly pay for your membership. You'll also get great member-only resources at homebrewersassociation.org and access to AHA events like the National Homebrewers Conference and the National Homebrew Competition. The American Homebrewers Association promotes the hobby of homebrewing, protects the interests of homebrewers, and brings beer lovers together become a member today it costs less than a batch of beer and gives back so much more visit homebrewersassociation.org
Hey, c'est Jean de la Brasserie Campion. Vous écoutez le Sour Horn Brune West. <rire> One more time. Hey, c'est Jean de la Brasserie Campion. Vous écoutez la Sour Horn Brune Network. Yeah, network is not a French. Yeah. One more time. Welcome back. It's the Sour Hour on the Brewing. No, no. I want to thank one of the great breweries that bring you this show, Neshamity Creek Brewing. Three times, Philly Beer Scene Magazine Brewery of the Year, many, many GABF awards, many, doing my Trump hands, many, <laughs> multiple. It's terrific. Great renovated tasting room with a variety of beer styles from hoppy double IPAs, sessionable poundable lagers, oak fermented saisons. Hey, Eric. <laughs> oh, hey, Eric. <laughs> Free brewery tours <laughs> on Saturdays. <laughs> yeah. uh, new second location. Check them out. NashamityCreekBrewing.com. There you go. Excellent. Hey, Eric, you'll like this. Uh, when I, I went to the bar, I went to get some glasses up at the bar. here. This is general manager, Eric, that just walked into the room. A- Andrew walked up to me and started talking to me and was like, got through a sentence and a half. And then I turned around. And he was like, oh, I thought you were Eric. <laughs> and I was like, how dare you? It's happened before. The opposite <laughs> yeah. has happened before. That you thought, oh, yeah. They thought you were me? Yeah, I met you the other day, Scott. No. No, you no. did not. <laughs> I've also, no. Bearded white guys all look the same. Isn't that right? Uh, you guys don't look that similar. I mean, by that logic, Eric, Jay, and myself were, were basically triplets. Oh, oh. Extremely <laughs> handsome. Yeah. Let's bring Matt back in. Matt's got the goatee game going on. Have you ever gone full beard? I have. I I didn't care for it as much on my. I, I don't know. I've I've liked the goatee. I, I went back. I, I let it grow in and then I shaved it again. Mm. Did you ever go just mustache? No. No. The bald head and just mustache. It's too shaved. Something. Shaved head. The shaved head. That's I, what I mean. Yes. Scott. Yes. I actually grew the goatee like ten years ago for an Ali G costume, and <laughs> no. then I just really liked it. And I kept it. <laughs> Nice. That's the greatest thing I've ever yes, heard. Yes, it is. <laughs> awesome. LEG. Uh, we have a new beer. Scott, what is it? Yes, this one is the Palm Mango Sour. This one clocking in at 5.7. Oh, so a heavy hitter. Uh, yeah, for, for so far, <laughs> yeah, this is the big boy of the lineup. You're definitely sending us the Brewer's Beers here, Matt. Uh, tell us about how you did this one. This one is a fairly simple pilsner wheat base kettle soured initially fermented out with a uh, like a dry english ale strain this is part of a series that we're doing uh, all of them are kind of like labeled like super fruit they're individual fruit combinations and it's it's a series we're doing with like combinations of two or more fruits re-fermented out into a fairly clean like sour base we really go heavy on the fruiting rates on these. Um, the first one we did was raspberry and passion fruit. Uh, this one, pomegranate and mango. The goal is, you know, really punchy fruit flavors, but still dry, tart, and uh, really drinkable. This one for me, kind of, I, I think it reminds me of a mimosa. It's got that dry champagne finish, um, and even though it's not made with oranges, like it has that, like the tropical fruits drink the way I think a mimosa drinks. For sure. And what is what is the fruiting rate on this? Uh, it's just under the combined fruiting rate is just under two pounds per gallon. There's twice twice as much mango as pomegranate, so mango forward, pomegranate uh, a little a little less. Nice. You mentioned before you're using some uh, some organ fruit purees. And, and, you know, those, those are awesome, easy to use, of course. Convenient to store. Yep. Uh, and they do a great job. But, you know, not everyone's in Oregon. So I'm curious, what are some of the local ingredients that are there that you're interested in using for your beers? As we go forward, and I, I'm incredibly happy with Oregon fruit purees. They're very easy to use. Um, and convenient, convenient to store. <laughs> we, uh, we have a walk-in freezer. We are looking to use as much fresh local fruit as possible and for certain beers even freeze some of that and use it use it throughout the year when it's not not available fresh but it's still grown locally and using whole fruit and that type of thing especially for our bottled beers uh unfortunately we just got we got up and running late in the season and so far we haven't been able to make use of too many uh local ingredients uh, although the next beer we're going to taste does does make use of local apples 
Oh, that I think I saw that. That's the apple pie one. Is that it? Yeah. Nice. All right. I'm excited to get to that. I do want to get to a couple of more questions, though, along with the uh, the last two Mellow Mink beers. Actually, Scott, I just wanted to let you know that this question yeah. and all questions actually yeah. are brought to you and always have been by Dr. Lambic himself and his team at SourBeerBlog.com. Whoa. Check out the articles on Sour Beer Blog for a great written resource devoted to teaching you how to brew and blend great sour beer at home. And now... This is not a new announcement <laughs> since you're already listening to this uh, show, but Sour Beer Blog Crew is opening up a brewery and tap room in Central PA. Check them out, Mellow Mink Brewing at mellowmink.com. This is so, it's so meta. It's very meta. So yeah. meta. <laughs> uh, okay, this is from Randall Weaver. Hey, y'all. Uh, thanks so much for putting on a cool, informative show at times. <laughs> he, he didn't say that. Uh, cheers. Okay, so he says, uh, my name is Randy. I'm a, I'm a home brewer, an aspiring pro living in Atlanta. I've spent the past couple weeks gang listening to the Sour Hour. He said, uh, That's start- very popular, by the way. <laughs> gang listening? I see that around. Uh, when I heard the question about hot beer, remember the hot beer discussion? Oh, yeah, another trope. I remembered something I saw while visiting England with my wife, Elizabeth. We made a stop. Oh, funny, I'm going there. Yes, tonight. Jay will be in London, uh, just a short <laughs> flight on the Concord away. Just dropping all the humble rags I can. <laughs> we made a stop in Portsmouth. We looked around the Portsmouth City Museum. They had some mock-ups of old homes complete with antique kitchen gadgets. Oh, I saw this email. This boot is meant to heat up beer in a fire. He sent a picture of the it's boot. Like a so you, did you boot see on that? a stick, kind of. Yeah, uh, or like a long hand. The actually the toe is very long. It's like a it's like a stein with a big pedestal on it, so it's shaped like a boot, but it's a stein. So yeah, you're all imagining the classic like German das Boot boot. Yeah, but not no, that. It's like a copper mug, right? Stein, and the toe goes into the fire oh, and warms the, the entire thing, thing because the heat's going to rise through. Right, but not on direct flame, though. Yeah. yeah. Well, There's uh, no direct flame on the, the liquid itself. Rather, it's heating maybe, the vessel. Maybe on the toe, but just, yeah, like that. the, the toe goes in so your hand doesn't get hot. Right. But can we post this to uh, Brewing Network Social? Oh, show? sure. Yeah, I'll, let me text. I'll text it to, to Kim, social media Kim, after the show, and we'll, we'll get it uh, posted for you guys so you can check it out. Uh, he says, the toe was placed in the coals, which heated the beer while keeping the rest of the vessel from getting too hot. I'm sure it was wonderful to get a mug of hot beer after working all day in a shipyard or whatever the hell people did in Portsmouth. Arguable. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Like, wouldn't you rather be handed a mug of cold beer? I mean, I know it's cold in England, but, you know, after a day of working in a shipyard or whatever, you know. I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, let, I'm going to put in a nice... 16-hour shift. Go visit the Harlan and Wolf shipyard and set some rivets and then see if you want hot or cold beer at the end of the I'll day. do that and also go see the uh, mobile cool ship guy. Yes, exactly. At uh, London's Falling Brewing or what was it? Oh, no, that was our clash discussion from before. That was a... That was a... <laughs> Is that why you were listening to that? Before the show, Jay was saying that he's got London calling by the clash stuck in his head. Were you listening to that because you're going to London? No, no. I just, it's just in my head because London's calling. <laughs> I see. Sorry. Okay. So it's not really a question. Sorry, just, uh, just a cool email from uh, from Randall. Thanks for the interesting tidbit, Randall. Matt, any plans to do hot sour beer? Not at the moment. Do you, <laughs> but do you, how that could is always it, change. Is there some heat in the uh, in the taste room? We uh, we don't have a fireplace. <laughs> is it is it warm? It is warm. Because you know, it's, it can get kind of cold out there. Warm, warm, toasty, and comfy, and the beer is cold. Great salesman. <laughs> okay, let's do one quick one before we get uh, more Mellow Mink beer and take a short break here. Uh, this is from Zach. Zach says, "Hello, Jay and Sco with no teas." <laughs> I have a blended sour in bottles that consists of the following. Five gallons of a rippingly sour black raspberry mixed fermentation beer, and then three gallons of a mildly sour spontaneous fermentation beer. So it's a multi-part question. Let's do the first one. Three gallons, five gallons, sorry. Yes, five very, very sour black raspberry mixed ferment, three gallons mildly sour spontaneous ferment. Okay. Okay, the intensity of the sour is still high. Yes. I, I feel like this is partially due to the varying acid types that the raspberries contributed as they were harvested early, so they were extra tart raspberries, as well as some acetic character from the Rosalaire yeast. I have read that some microbes used in sour beer making can make this conversion. Have you experienced malolactic fermentation in your sour beers without the addition of MLF bacteria? If so, with what fruits? Will my beer mellow with time? 
Matt? Yes. <laughs> it will mellow. Uh, it might not mellow with time to a significant degree. Uh, malolactic, most um, lactobacillus, and I believe even PDO, may be able to do malolactic fermentation. And it, it tends to occur, I, I believe, within the first eight weeks, the fruits being added. So not necessarily all the malic acid, but uh, a decent portion of it does transform into lactic acid over time. It's also something that, um, and I, I had done a little research on this when I wrote an article about um, blending fruit with sour beer. And one of the things to keep an eye on with certain types of fruit that have a lot of citric acid is that citric acid, when it goes into the malolactic pathway, the same organisms that do malolactic, can convert citric acid into uh, acetic acid and DMS, not DMS, diacetyl. So the diacetyl will continue to you know metabolize away, but the um, Certain fruits, and, and you know, I, I've noticed over the years that certain fruits that are really high in citric acid, like um, blueberries, um, and of course, your you know, citrus fruits, things like that, they, if they tend to have a flaw, sometimes they come across to acetic uh, vinegary, and I think a lot of times that's because they the base beer was blended without the assumption that any more acetic would be produced from the fruit itself. Yeah, I think that, that that's interesting. I didn't really realize about that uh, pathway. And kind of on that note, I guess one thing that I've seen in our beers is sometimes this is uh, several years ago, but they produce so much lactic acid that there's a perception of acetic because acetic is just perceived as so much more sour. But sometimes if you have a lot of lactic acid, you just assume that it is acetic acid, like. Acetic becomes a synonym for very sour, mm. essentially. You know, I think definitely control the acidity of the base beer. I knew immediately when you said five gallons of ripping sour beer blended with three gallons of mildly sour beer. I was like, no, that's going to be way too sour still. We've done blends where not even ripping sour, just pretty sour beer goes with four times five times as much non-sour beer that's when it comes into balance but then it's kind of a bland bland blend say that five times fast bland blend blend blah blah i sound like john van (laughs) 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 so just know that you know that's kind of the maybe just a rule of thumb ratio that i'd go with right so in other words like if zach had said i have Three gallons of rippingly sour black raspberry and five gallons no, of my. It, not, if it was reversed, it still enough. it still would be ripping would, like I too sour. So. And that's not knowing any pH or titratable acidity numbers, but just by you know subjective comments, I yeah, that's not going to work. Totally. So if he, if Zach said I have one gallon of ripping sour whatever and five gallons, now we're starting to th- approach where maybe it wouldn't be too sour. Right. Is so that- I also question whether it's actually the raspberries or not. Although Matt makes great points that with those uh the pathway to acetic so but you know matt with his uh passion fruit goza you know he he intentionally went a little higher on the ph like his kettle sour was not as sour because he knows the passion fruit is more sour raspberries are more sour Mm -hmm. something like peaches that's fine you know that's less sour so just keep the fruit in mind if you want to fight the acidity in your base beer more hops more drying out on primary fermentation and final point is, should we rename it mellow lactic fermentation? <laughs> Dad jokes for days. <laughs> as long as we're, we'll, we'll work that into the, uh, the album where we re-sing the Mr. Ed theme as a uh, horse so, divorce. The sour singers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. How are we doing on time, Scott? We're doing all right. I think uh, we have par- uh, time for part two of Zach's question. It's a three-parter. So we'll oh, do part wow. two. We'll take a break, and then we'll, we'll finish the question, and then do the last two Mellow Mink beers. Does that sound right. good? It's like the Godfather. Dad N- jokes. Part number two of Zach's question. Have you guys experienced renewed acid production in the bottle when blending a very sour and a not very sour beer? I.e., was my blending all for nothing because the bacteria just soured the less sour portion of my blend in the bottle? It's definitely possible. I've had beers that, you know, get more acidic with age in the bottle. 
I, I know it's, um, some of that I think is inherently dependent on how much residual sugar is left, but there's almost always enough to give a little more metabolism one way or another. For us, it's been pretty consistent once we bottle, but we're obsessive about every sugar that we think is going to be fermentable, fermentable by the culture that we bottle with or at bottling is going to be the final one. So we're getting a little more exper- experimental on that, you know, kind of bottling younger and seeing how beers develop in the bottle, which I, I actually think is how most people do it. But it's a risky game. And then especially if you are afraid that Acetobacter is a part of your mixed culture, which really it's probably a part of everyone's mixed culture. It's just in low amounts. You got to be extra careful about oxygen pickup when you're at packaging. That is the one that you say all sour beers have Acetobacter. Is, is that the one you use? I, I know you've said I that. say all sour beers have acetic acid. Acetic, but, that's right. Okay. But Acetobacter produces the most acetic acid of any okay. uh, acid-producing bacteria that's in beer, unless I'm forgetting one that shouldn't be in beer. But um, you know, if you send a, if you send your beer out for for testing, you probably have some number of Acetobacter in there. If you're taking care and keeping track of your beer and doing clean things, it's going to be low. And too low to make an impact, but it's always there. We sent out some beer in our earlier days that I think we sent out like, I don't know, six or eight beers. And they did uh, a full panel saying, here's the number of Britannomyces cells, here's the number of lactobacillus, pediococcus, and acetobacter. And luckily enough, like whatever, seven out of eight, everything but one, very low acetobacter counts, like less than the perceivable number one huge like Hmm. 1.8 million cells per whatever the measure was which is way into the perceptible category oh oh yeah for the for their measures yes absolutely but not not for the lay person's palate well we're just talking about organisms okay not production so immediately this was a beer that hadn't been released yet i was like this beer is on quality hold do not release this. We kept it for six months. That's right. I remember Tasted that. great. I, I don't know if you do remember this, because actually this is not something I've talked about really that much, but it was just overprotective. The beer was awesome. Never got too sour, ever. There was some residual sugar in there. So that measure is not always the best, but I think the sensory measure is going to be the way, best way to tell. Gotcha. You're right. I, I was remembering a different, the, the other big One of our other that, that you, Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And one of the other things that you let sit around because you couldn't uh, release it for, yeah. And I remember, I think I said like, yeah, a pallet. And you were like, lull, a pallet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Try 10,000 bottles. Yeah. Uh, okay, you know what? Let's just finish Zach's question here. There's only one more part and I just want to knock it out. Some of the interactions, he's looking for a discussion, interactions uh, that happen in bottled sour beer unrelated to microbial activity. Like obviously wine relies heavily on this, but how much of a factor is it in sour beer? Is it primarily based on tannin levels? And if, if unoaked, unhopped beer doesn't have much, will the beer be relatively static outside of microbial activity? I'm sorry, I missed, the, I missed the, the point on that. I think he's asking about interactions that happen in bottled sour beer unrelated to microbial activity. Just any interaction? I guess. It's kind of broad. Is it something he should be worried about? Yes. I mean, I worry about it. I worry about too much sugar being left, and so we keep our beers a, a, a crazy standard of 0.1 Play-Doh for at least six weeks stability, which any pro brewer who's doing their math that way is like, what? That's insane. And yes, we are insane. We should, I think I need to lighten up on that a little bit after five years of data. Um, <laughs> nah. But, you know, you don't want to send out beer that explodes or at a lesser extent, like foams out on people and 
you know, not every day is New Year's. You don't need the champagne pop. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. Uh, so the last sentence of Zach's email is just uh, keep up the great work. Sour Hour is the first podcast that I've listened to all the episodes of, and I love it. I'd be happy to mail in some beer samples if you guys are not already backlogged. Stay sour. Thanks for the email, Zach. And you know what? We are going to do uh, some more listener beer shows in 2019. You know, I still have some of Member Manny Roke, who won the Best of State Florida homebrew competition. Mm-hmm. We had one of his beers, had him on. I still have a beer he sent me over a year ago. Wow. Uh, a strawberry sour beer sitting in my fridge. And, uh, I in know the Moscow cellar. Yes. Yeah, I've, been, I've been waiting to do it. And Only I, the finest place. <laughs> right next to the cigar humidor. That's right, which is, a, Jay says cigars. They're black and mild, so let's be real. Uh, but anyway, we're going to do something, uh, at least one more show like that in 2019. So I'll, I'll email you, Zach, and we, we'll definitely take some some samples and do more listener beer shows. But we have more pro beer from Matt. One yep. more segment on this show. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll get Matt out of here. Thanks for hanging in there, Matt. Thanks, you still Matt. good? Still alive? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. All right, we'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanishev, and I love a bold, hoppy beer, one that spits resin in your face and makes you cry, uncle. There are a lot of great hoppy beers out there, but at Heretic, we want to make something as bold, dank, and resiny as possible. We use hops at every chance we get, including multiple dry hop additions. The result is Heretic Evil Cousin. This light golden, 8% Imperial IPA has an easy malt character that helps take the edge off the massive bittering but it takes a back seat to the in-your-face hop character. We make sure this beer finishes dry so the hops can jump out and slam me in the taste buds. If you can't get enough hoppy goodness, Evil Cousin is your cup of tea. Cheers. Scott's an attractive man. We have a side-by-side up here. (laughs) We have the Seth Rogen, yes beard and no beard, side-by-side. Yeah, non-bearded Seth. They were surprised at the jawline. That he actually had a perceptible jawline mm-hmm. and not three chins. You know what? We have an ex. We have someone who can really weigh in on this on the line. Matt, why, why? Why do you say that, Matt? Is Seth Rogen attractive? <laughs> like physically attractive without a beard? No. I, I don't find Seth Rogen particularly See? attractive this is with why. or without a beard. <laughs> See, this is we have, we were having the off-air conversation about what celebrity lookalikes we might be like, and Danica, uh, my girl, is in here. She confirms. I do fiance. Get, uh, fiance. I do get a uh, Seth Rogen a fair amount. <laughs> And I've always been tilted by that. And Jay was like, I don't understand. Why? And because, as Matt confirms, not that attractive. He's a good-looking guy. Uh, no. No. What? <laughs> okay. Fine. Uh, this is the handsome hour. Yeah, it on is. The hour. I'm not allowed to be on it. <laughs> Seth freaking Rogan. Get out of here. He's big in Wisconsin, just like the Wine and Hop <laughs> shop, wineandhop.com. Locally owned and operated over 40 years. Most items are going to ship. Well, more than a few than most. Are going to ship within 24 hours. Being listeners, that's you. Get an $8 flat shipping rate on orders under 25 pounds. Enter BN Shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart. Discounts could be taken off post-checkout, just FYI. And Madison residents, that's big there. Order your homebrew supplies at wineandhop.com and pick them up at Working Draft Beer Company. Located on the Wilson Street, right across from Central Park, will waive shipping and give you half off your first beer. I say you just get a crowler and make them give you half off of that, but wineandhop.com. Challenge them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you can't match his laugh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm lie. I like it a lot. Okay. It's a good laugh. I like it. Yeah. Do you know... Scrub it up. This guy challenged if you knew uh, one sports star earlier, Randy Moss. Randy Moss. Do you know who Kawhi Leonard is? That I don't know. Okay. So he's probably one of the best five players in the NBA. Matt, are you a sports fan? I'm not. So this guy, Kawhi Leonard, has, I think, the craziest laugh I've ever heard. Let's let's just, let's pause, have a sip of beer. 
Wow. When you type in his name into YouTube, Kawhi Leo, the first thing that comes up, Kawhi Leonard laugh. Yep. And what would you like people to know about you? Uh, I'm a fun guy. Uh, <laughs> obviously, I love the game of basketball. Uh, um, I mean, it's just more question you have to ask me um, in order for me to tell you about myself. I just can't give you a whole spiel. <laughs> I don't even know where you're sitting at. Like. <laughs> 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 I don't even know where you're sitting at. Like. <laughs> oh my God, he sounds like he's in agony. He's a fun guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Also, listen to other BN shows who won't give you Kawhi Leonard drops. Yeah, but they are sometimes informative. Bruce, at times, Bruce Strong. <laughs> Dr. Homebrew, Brewing My Style, Heads and Tails, Shine Runner, Entre Cervezas. Yes. Hop and Brew School. All right. Uh, we have more beer. Yes. Here what's with n- Dr. Lambic. We got two left, Dr. Lambic. What's next? I would do the Janet Weiss, the apple pie sour. All right. Yeah. Tell wow. Us, tell us about that while we're cracking it open. And was it was it inspired by Janet's Brown? Actually, it's, it's inspired by Rocky Horror. The female lead is Janet Weiss. There you go. Oh, is it? And it's a seasonal. How did that get made into a beer? <laughs> so this is like our a, a seasonal beer for us. It's kind of our answer to everyone making uh, <laughs> pumpkin pie beers. <laughs> uh, but uh, we are working on a dessert series of sour beers. I think it's one of the cool things that sour beer offers, uh, since you can balance flavors without any bitterness it opens up a really wide world of like desserts and other foods that don't necessarily translate great into like an IPA or pale ale, you know, or even a stout, you know, stouts sours. uh, We are, I think it's a really neat idea to be able to take um, these like different dishes and especially dessert type dishes and kind of break them down, reconstruct them and and do them in, in sour beer formats. This smells so cinnamon. Yeah. It's got a little home sour home vibe going on. It probably just is it uh, like clove and cinnamon. A lot of good spice character. Mm-hmm. Definitely buy. Ooh, that's good. We're on the tail end of this beer right now. We we put this out for right around Halloween, but uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about about how it's made. Uh, and I think it's a I think it's a great example of kind of versatility that you can do with, you know, uh, obviously a number of the beers I sent are kettle soured, and some of that is is our newness to the market and you know wanting to to have beer ready quickly and you know but i i also think that i'm not apologizing for that either i think kettle souring is a really important tool in the tool belt when it comes to being able to produce like draft sour beers one of the cool things like this beer it it is based on a a largely like english malt backbone a lot of maris otter um just a little bit of wheat let me see here. I have the recipe. We'll cut out all of you looking this up in in <laughs> post production. No, no, no. It's, no. Okay. It, it's just to ship it. after afterwards. It'll be like, man, he remembers everything. Yeah, totally. That guy's really Johnny <laughs> on the spot. Yeah, in this in this case, it's it's about thirty five percent wheat, and the rest of the malt bill is um is oats, Munich, and uh, Maris Otter. And we kettle sour this, and we ferment it down, and we ferment it to dryness, but we use a fairly low attenuative uh, English yeast strain for the Saccharomyces component. Despite the fact that I, I think this beer finishes, you know, it, it has a balanced finish, it finishes at 1022, which is ridiculously high for a sour beer. Yeah, it is. But it it's something that 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 we do intentionally to promote the like uh pie crust and the more decadent like full body nature of the beer it works so well that's, that's right that. on yeah that is right on i mean it's not cloying at all if i didn't know it was uh that high finishing you know i'd just be like wow yeah apple pie mm-hmm. apple pie yeah and uh, so we we do the primary, you know, we uh, do an initial lactobacillus kettle souring, secondary fermentation with English Saccharomyces, and then we treat apples in this beer just like we would treat whole fruit in any sour beer. So we actually uh, chop them up, 
put them in the beer whole and let them soak for about two weeks. You know, I, I think that process gives you a nice, like, realistic apple flavor. You pull out a little bit of tannin from Definitely. it. But it's, uh, you know, it's not, it, it doesn't give you, like, kind of that artificial, like, apple candy. And I think brewers avoid apple beers in general because they're worried about them coming off, like, cidery. Acid uh, aldehyde. The apple, green apple off flavor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, acid aldehyde. And, and, Yes. Sorry, I draw a blank on that one. That's all right. Matt, um, Matt, Matt's 10 beers deep, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I think uh, I think by, you know, treating the apples just kind of like you would other whole fruit, like you do, you pull out a lot of flavor, um, but the we do a half a pound per gallon, so they're not a significant source of fermentable sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you avoid cidery, you know, cidery notes and things like that by by going that route. And then the rest of this, uh, the other flavors are uh, whole vanilla beans and whole cinnamon sticks uh, after fermentation in the, uh, you know, like a uh, like a dry hopping treatment, you know, in the fermenter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, it's I'm shocked at how much apple flavor comes through. It's it's wonderful and. I just also have to say that uh, Danica, who's in the studio with us, you know, Scott's on and on, on again, off again, casual girlfriend, uh, <laughs> is just in the background loving this Loving beer. it. So now this, the, uh, the other obvious example, of course, as I just brought up, is uh, Rare Barrel's Home Sour Home, which is the closest... It's, it's a sour beer apple pie is kind of how <laughs> as I... As Danica it. takes off her ring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, okay, so it, it, this vi- this varies pretty considerably from Home Sour Home. Home Sour Home does not use apples, right? Yeah, peach. It uses peach, not apples. Mm. Peach, cinnamon, vanilla. But it still, it still strikes the palate as sort of like tart apple pie because I guess it's those other spices in there. There's also no cinnamon, right? Cinnamon. There, there is cinnamon. Cinnamon and vanilla. Cinnamon. Mm. Oh, and vanilla. Okay, so that vanilla really rounds it all out. So now tasting this, are you guys treating the addition of apples and the addition of peach the same way? It sounds, I don't know how Jay's beer is made, but yeah, we, we put the apples in, we slice them up and we put them in whole in the, uh, post fermentation, you know, just as the beer is resting on its, on its yeast cake and let them, let them age for, uh, well, just kind of rest in the beer. Um, you get like a touch of re-fermentation, but these, the apples that we use are more cider make, I shouldn't even say they're, they're. They're a little more tannic. Um, they're like a cider blending apple, so they don't have a ton of sugar. I think their pressing is like a ten, like a ten forty gravity. So you get a touch of refermentation, but not a lot. I'm very impressed with how much apple comes through with yeah. that because yeah, I mean we're using peach puree, Oregon fruit. In in home sour home specifically, we use other peaches for other projects, but we and then that's it's it's a barrel aged sour beer base, so a little bit different there. But wow, this is really good. Now uh, and and a much lower finishing gravity. So I was going to say, if if we're staying with uh, specific gravity, it's more like a ten oh five. Now, and this does come across as more, while it still has a, a tart character, and this is a tart beer when you t- taste it, it doesn't come across quite as sour as Home Sour Home does, and that's the reason, right? This is, this is more balanced, I, and I wouldn't even say sweet. I would no. not say sweet no. for this beer. It's, not sweet. It's more balanced. Yeah, well, it reads more as pie. Definitely. Because it, it just has a little bit, yeah. but it, even though it isn't sweet, it isn't quite as yeah. sharp tart as, as Home Sour Home is. Danica, ex-girlfriend of Scott, says yes. <laughs> This um, this this one uh, for the the souring and the pH that we target is the lowest. We we tar- have targeted the lowest pH of any of the beers that that you tasted wow. for this one because of the balance against uh, a higher multi, you know multi or finishing gravity. It's one of those examples where it, it's still in balance even though both things that are being balanced like sweetness and sourness are are kind of higher on the scale if that's making sense like oh, yeah, they might both be like an eight out of ten in intensity and they're balanced against each other mm-hmm. versus like two three out of ten things being balanced against each other and they they so yeah it's it's just um it's a fun beer it's it's one that i we've had a lot of fun kind of tinkering with um and getting to try out these different practices that that you know, kettle souring is a great tool for because 
any mixed culture would just dry this thing out to very much much lower than it is now just you took the words out of my mouth twice during that it's crazy that you went lower on the acidity and then it totally made sense when you said you know it's to balance the residual sugar and it works so much like this is not um you know we talked about the the passion fruit goza and it's like maybe perceived acid is somewhere in the same same area on those two beers and it's just super well balanced you're really hitting the spot on that one and forgot my second point (laughs) what what were you just saying matt let matt take the words out of your mouth and make it for you thank you i'm glad you guys like it the second part you just said man wait no i had a i had a point here well, I'm saying that um, I think these are examples where the kettle souring it's a uh, ah, yes. it's a great tool to be able to lock in a final gravity on yeah. a sour beer because mixed cultures would dry it out and and make it maybe harder to balance or at least harder to um, to achieve the ba- this specific balance that we were looking for. Yep, and uh, that's exactly what I was going for. So. You know, we've been juxtaposing this with Home Sour Home, which is barely, we, we're obsessive at the Rare Barrel on how every, you know, that mixed culture gets into the bottle every time. So we're just obsessive about, is this going to continue to ferment? But if you wanted to make a beer like that and keep some more residual sugar in it, you know, that could, that could be a great way to make, you know, it won't be Home Sour Home, but, that, you know, make a beer that's potentially better than that. And you know, maybe maybe this is it. You know, I'm not promoting my brand right now that well, but this is. I if both beers were on tap, you know, might go for this one. Go for go for whatever you want. It's a, it, well, it's at be, least a coin flip. To for be me. fair to Home Sour Home, it's like one of the best beers you make, and it hasn't been the same product every year. It's been a different experience every year you've made it. It's it's always been Home Sour Home. It's different. Yeah, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah, but this beer is really good. Oh man, yeah, great job! Let's bring the up board. Danica's mic and see what she has. Thank to you. Say. Yeah, can you give us? Let's have the uh, the lay perspective from my ex girlfriend wow. fiance. Lay. <laughs> All right, turn Danica. On bo- turn on your box there. What do you got? What do you like? Why, why Dan- do you like this? Danica comes into the show, you know, from time to time, casually dating Scott, and <laughs> friends with benefits. She, uh, you know, she has. A lot of the beers that we have, but this is a, a big time positive reaction to this beer. She's, Why on, is she's on third. She said three. Yeah, three. Wait, what? Second. Oh, sorry. Uh, but you can give me the bottle <laughs> and I will leave you alone. I already drank out of the bottle. So, why do you like this? Yeah, why? It tastes just like fresh apples. Like if you've ever made a homemade pie, which I have. <laughs> Humble brag. Humble brag. <laughs> It tastes just like fresh apples and cinnamon, completely. It really does. And there's nothing that beats that. You know, Costco makes a great pie, but you can tell it's been sitting there. Yeah, right. It didn't just come out of the oven. This is hot and fresh out the kitchen. Yeah, it is. Not hot beer, though. Wow, Scott's breaking the studio. What is happening? I don't know. This might be a good beer heated up, though. Who knows, right? Danica. Hot take, no pun intended. Matt, I think maybe this would be a good hot beer. Yes. I think you're right, especially the maltier and and the spice elements of it. I mean, oh, hot yeah. apple cider is awesome. So, I don't I've not tried this beer hot heated up, but I think I'm going to give it a whirl later tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you're continuing to drink after this. That's that's a good sign. <laughs> Again, sorry, Cole and Cal. Yeah, sorry, not sorry. Yeah, we can if you can find uh, the device from Randall Weaver's email. Yeah, you know that'll be perfect. You can throw some uh, some Janet Weiss in there, heat it up. Oh yeah, I'm in. That's great. Did, did, did we open all the beers? Yeah, that's it. Oh great. I think there's is there... there's one left in a growler. Oh, oh gosh, you're right. Let's uh, run and get that, and I'll ask no, Matt. No, I have it. Boom. Oh, oh there. <laughs> I forgot. It's right there. Boom. Apricot Estate Saison. Look Tell at this us, beautiful that's thing. A gorgeous, gorgeous. Is that growler. your growler? Wow, this I've is never seen a growler like this before. Is this custom? This, this is the ones uh, we sell those in the tap room. Yeah, wow. they're, uh, they're handsome. I, I think they're they're very pretty. They're gorgeous. Kind of like Seth Rogen. <laughs> yeah, just like Seth Rogen. <laughs> so tell us about the uh, Apricot Estate Saison. At 7.2. Now oh, wow. he's the real big boy. You're getting us drunk, so, though. 
the uh, estate estate saison is another like series that we're doing, um, and that there are beer decoupages. So the the goal is always to take an age uh, a pretty intense aged sour beer and blend it uh, lightly into a fresh hoppy mixed culture saison, and then. A lot of times we'll dry hop or fruit or just like play with other ingredients in that in that blend as well. Uh, I want to save this one to last just because I think it's the kind of the, an example of blending in multiple directions. So to the comments we were talking about earlier with like intensely sour beer and how much beer to blend this into, and you'll, you'll be able to kind of judge once you taste it, but this is 10 to one ratio. Wow. So it's only 15 go. gallons of a fairly intense blonde sour into 150 gallons of uh, the final batch size of, um, so like 135 gallons, you know, uh, 10% of it is sour beer. The other 90% is the uh, mixed culture Saison. And then we, after doing that blend, we hit it with some noble dry hopping. Uh, it's the uh, similar blend. It's, it's it's Holler Tower heavy, and if I'm correct in this, yeah, so we, so we did the rally. same the yeah. same hop blend in this that we used in Horse Divorce. So it's uh, it's Holler Tower and Hull Melon uh, for some dry hopping, and then half a pound per gallon of apricot puree. Yeah, definitely. It, this is. Yep, it's it's got that coupage thing going on. Uh, what do you think of this, Scott? Well, if I wasn't told there was fruit in this, I don't think I would guess oh. that. I think I would just think it was a blended farmhouse saison something. And and not only that, I wouldn't even know. And that's probably why it was a ten to one ratio. He's not going for that. That there was any intense sour beer blended into this at any ratio. But but now that you say that, I mean, I I can sense that it's there and giving it some depth. I taste it there yeah. now in the very background. Now that you mentioned that, but if I was just given this blind, I wouldn't pick out fruit and I wouldn't pick out that there was any intensely sour anything at any point in this blend. Right. The, this is a beer that that it's still, you know, uh, unlike the the uh, some of the kettle sours, like it will change dynamically over time. That type of thing. You know, the, the goal really was not to overwhelm it with any one thing. It's it's supposed to be one of those beers that meets in the middle, and you're not sure quite where the fruit starts and ends, where the hops start and end. And I, I think that's one of the things that I, I have a lot of fun with these types of beers, because I think they, they are best when it, you're not sure where the character all, you, you get a lot of characteristic, but you're not sure where it all comes from. Absolutely, yeah. Mission very much accomplished. And as much as I love, you know, some nectarine pie filling stone fruit bonanza, I I love that too. There's also I I love these. Let's have a pint of this. Yeah, yes. It's it's like um just like you're describing. You know, it's very layered and complex, but you're not able to pinpoint what any of that complexity actually is. And awesome. is this a beer that you know you, you you did the blend at the end? Is this does this go into barrel? Uh, sorry, bottles. Was it K condition? How do you deal this with that? This is draft. This is on draft as well. So the goal the goal with these is the is is to be able to give some aged beer type complexity by just using like smaller portions of aged sour into like the fresh hoppy saisons. And still be able to create so so be able to create a beer that that is sustainable for like a draft program, but it's got the it's got those complex notes of something more more uh, aged. This is one of my favorite styles. And my <laughs> while you were talking about your approach, to this when Scott challenged you on the the fruit content, and I'm I'm throwing down a challenge going here challenge on the desk, coin, not to see uh, on brand. And um, <laughs> but w when you're talking about that, I just I was shaking my head feverishly. Not nodding. Yes. Nodding. Yeah, nodding. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Shaking, shaking kind of is no. No. Right? <laughs> nodding my head. And um, although it sounds like not, so I'm nodding. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Anyway, stupid, no, I agree. There, there's a there's a time and a place for fruit bombs. There's a time and a place for fruited beers mm -hmm. that allow the mixed culture fermentation and base ingredients to follow through. There's a time and a place for Brett bombs. There's a time mm -hmm. and a place for clean beers that you can have just pints of. And I think you've given us 
a lot of those different options, and I think people will be experiencing that when they come to The Mink. The Mink. Is that the only place people can get your beer, or where is it available for those listening and hashtag jealous of us right now? <laughs> it, it, it is it is all in-house. So short of starting up a, uh, a, a popular sour beer podcast, um, right now we're the only place that you can get it. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is that is by design we we really are trying to keep our program small and allow us the flexibility to really be experimental continue to rotate different batches and and focus on the the blending and the the things that we are doing for it for an in-house experience so yeah i mean definitely if people want to check us out visit central pennsylvania it's beautiful this time of year it's like 30 degrees out (laughs) but um no it's it's that's been it's always been kind of my dream to have a uh, a small tap room where we can really embrace like you know the craft beer culture sour beer culture and uh give people a lot of options um that are fans of the styles that's the best way to get it is to is to come visit us we look forward to having them don't worry matt in a few short years you're going to be like yeah colorado i don't know (laughs) where can i send my beer (laughs) and it's very important we need to know if it's snowing over there it's not we have we had a a, a, about an eight inch snow three or four weeks ago Uh, but it's the only one of the season it melted like a day later Oh, man. Well, it's 53 here, so we're yeah. all freezing. Yeah, so. it's, we, we don't know what to do with ourselves. <laughs> i got four layers on right now. Well, Matt, I, you know, you mentioned people who appreciate the style should should come out, and I agree that they should. But people who do appreciate the style also appreciate you and all you've done for Sour Beer, which I think is a very substantial amount and a significant achievement even before you embarked on this professionally so just know that we're all uh we're proud of you and scott and i in the brewing network are uh happy to know you and can't wait till we're on our uh our road trip out there to come do a live podcast maybe someday can't wait jay's gonna be flying over your vicinity in just like a few short hours he'll wave to you from the air yeah i'll drop some bottles that would be amazing and it's very kind and 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 very humbling i i've really enjoyed everything that i've gotten to experience and and do within the industry so far and working with you guys has been amazing and i i I look forward to continuing it continuing it in the future i haven't written anything recently for the blog but if uh, people are listening and there's articles or, or things that they would like to uh have written Send me some send me some uh, ideas, things that you'd like to have me dive into, and I'll I'll get to work on that. How do they send it to you? Just by email. They can hop on hop on the the sourbeerblog.com or mellowmink.com and and shoot me an email over. We're also uh, very active on social media, so if anybody's looking to follow us and what we're doing when bottle releases and things are coming out, we're on pretty much all the social media networks. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at Mellow Mink Beer. So it's a good it's a good way to follow along and get get to see what we're up to. Awesome. Photo credit to Cole. Yes. Out of control. <laughs> Photo game out of control. <laughs> so he this, kills it. Yeah. Yeah, he, he does. does. He does. I want to go mainline the rest of this Janet Weiss. Yes, definitely. Let's do it. Well Matt, we'll let you go. Uh enjoy the rest of your night and thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, bud. Thanks for having me. It was, it was a great time. I really appreciate it. Hell yeah. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, dude. We're proud of you. And you as well. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much to the listeners, too, and all of our sponsors. Thanks to you, Scott. Thank you, dude. Have fun in London. Big thanks to Danica. Thanks, Danica. Keep drinking beer. Until next time, stay sour. Dad jokes for days.